Cool, cool. What's up, everybody? As always, I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. What's and up? this is Bible Dingers. Bible Dingers. This yeah. episode is going to be special, mm-hmm. isn't it? It's going to be oh, special. We have some special guests on the show. We have Zach and Carl from Adherent Apologetics. And just in case you're wondering what that is, they run a blog and a YouTube channel that tackles tough questions facing Christianity. Say what's up to our listeners. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Hey, what's good? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's hitting that New Jersey. (laughs) Hey, what's good? Oh, yo, yo. You you can hit us. Yo, it's Matt Hart in here. (laughs) You can hit us with one of these. You 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 could say how you doing. (laughs) We're excited. How we're gonna. Doing? Yeah. Oh. How you doing? Hey. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, we're in doing? the middle of Pennsylvania. I guess we should yeah. mention that. Yeah, near Penn State. Yeah. Shout out Saquon. Yeah. So in this episode, we're gonna be hitting some hefty topics. We're gonna be talking about why people live so long in the Old Testament. We're gonna be talking about the legitimacy, the, the legitimacy <laughs> of the flood. We're gonna be talking about the Nephilim in Genesis six. Why does God seem so evil in the Old Testament and sexism in the Bible? Mm. So this is going to be a hefty, entertaining episode. Mm. And each of us are going to handle one of those topics. Yes. Right? Yes. But before that, we have an icebreaker going on right now. We got to loosen up. Loosey goosey. Let's do it. Loosey goosey. So Easter's coming, right? And we know... We have this wacky Easter bunny that represents this Christian holiday, right? Mm. So my question for you guys is, reading through scripture, if you had to create your own holiday that has its own animal or character associated with it, it it could be ridiculous. What would it be? So an event from the Bible that doesn't have a holiday yet and like an animal or character to go with it. Wow. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Whoa. Easy enough, right? It's more like an ice demolisher. Right? It could be <laughs> it could be as ridiculous or serious as possible. Okay, Whatever can, you right. want. I can start. All right. So oh, no, you got one? Oh, Ooh, Carl's right, got one. I got one. All right. So, you know the little water bear thing? Like, the thing that's completely immune to, like, heat. It can survive, like, temperatures of, like, oh, 270 oh, Celsius. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right, so that is going to be the mascot of the flood. Oh, All right. Oh, okay. Yeah. You start, you get a 40-day, 40-day, um, 40-night celebration oh, of the flood. Ooh. And the water bear. You get your water it survives bear. everything. Sick. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. I could see some pagans celebrating that. Happy flood day. <laughs> happy flood day, happy everybody. Every, happy everybody dies day. <laughs> That's pretty sick. Marky, what's yours? Yeah, I was thinking um, I love the golden calf story from oh. Exodus. And so you sick. have uh, the golden calf. Like, we need a holiday to remember not to repeat what they did, mm. except, you know, you're going to bring a golden calf into your home. And then and just destroy it. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna accidentally start <laughs> worshiping it all over again, oh. and then we're just gonna fall into the same sin. Uh, yeah, that's it. It's, it's an ironic. Holiday. Out of all the stories, that idolatry one is solid. Yeah, of course it, it has to be accidental. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah accidentally comes out of the fire. Yeah, air ex- quotes. Air quotes. Oh yeah. Um, it just has to appear in everybody's living room. <laughs> what about like National Jonah Day, where we all just get eaten by whales? I like we that one. <laughs> yeah, right? We wear whale t-shirts. Yeah, and then we just go get eaten. Sick. <laughs> yeah. I, I was thinking like eat whale, but oh, yeah. getting eaten by a whale would be 
solid, way right? Cooler. Yeah, 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 it has to be sure. plausible. Yeah, I guess so. That's plausible. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I was thinking we could all wear like polar bear t shirts and celebrate Elijah demolishing oh. forty two people. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Happy Elijah. Those day. are polar bears now? Well, no, but polar bears are prettier. <laughs> it's a, so it's like, spectacular. On a t-shirt, I would definitely want some polar bears. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, right. And it would be like, why do you have that polar bear shirt on? Mm. You would know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or you would like to know. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah happy Elijah Day. <laughs> no? Good luck with that one. Yeah. That's very How cool. How you doing? Be like, you know. Houdini. Where'd those kids go, bro? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's messed up. That's yeah, I'm thinking like... National Daniel Day, kind of mm. just stealing from you, but uh, well, everybody has to eat vegetables. No, I'm thinking more like just throw someone <laughs> in a den and just uh, let them go. Oh, so the lion would be the mascot. Yeah, yeah that's sick. Yeah. Sick. Wild. It helped with over- overpopulation too. <laughs> yeah, there we go. There we go. We <laughs> can use that in sick China. In the head. We can use that in China. Happy Daniel Day. <laughs> oh no, that's what public school does to you, Chief. Oh my God. <laughs> the bible yeah right? nobody it, needs a bible it's just the dingers right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right yeah. we'll just have dingers <laughs> anyway so we're going to discuss our first topic and that is in genesis 6 and in numbers 13 they talk about something called nephilim also in genesis 6 they mention the sons of god we're going to talk about the different beliefs as to what that actually means we have the nephilim also in genesis that is related to nafo in hebrew and that means to fall and is also translated as giants in the King James Version from the influence of the Latin Vulgate. We have four different views of this text. We have the fallen angels view, and that is that the fallen angels had offspring with women that were called Nephilim. And we have the fallen angels possession view, and that's when men possessed by fallen angels had offspring with women. Mm. And we have the Sethite view, that the sons of God were the godly lines from the descendants of Seth and the daughters of men came from the descendants of Cain. And the Nephilim were fallen children who sought after false gods. And then lastly, we have the fallen men view. And that's that godly men took ungodly wives and their offspring were called Nephilim. The Nephilim in this case followed after the false gods and fell into wickedness. There may be other beliefs other than the ones that we list here, um, but I chose probably the most, the four most popular views on this text. Um, we're going to break them down really quickly. All right, so let's go through the pros and cons of each belief. The fallen angels, of course, is that the sons of God were fallen angels, and they, had, they came down and had offspring with, with, um, with a woman or woman, and their offspring were called the Nephilim. That's the first view. We're going to go through some pros, and we're going to go through some cons of that belief. The pros is that angels were called sons of God in Job 1-6 and Job 38-7. And the Hebrew meaning of Nephilim indicates that they were fallen. So they could have very well been fallen angels. 
And 2 Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6 both put angels who sinned in the same context of Noah. So it would be in context of that story that we're reading. And Genesis 19, 5 can argue that men can be sexually aroused by angels. Do, does anybody know that story? No. no. So Genesis... I'm on the edge of my seat here, though. Huh? I'm on the edge of my seat. You want to say that story? So mm. I'm not the only one talking? Yeah, there's angels and dudes liked them. Exactly. So they were banging on the door, oh, yeah, and they, yeah. wanted, they wanted to have intercourse with these angels that were in the house. Uh, oh, Sodom. So, Sodom and Gomorrah? There was, two, uh, there was two episodes. I read Genesis a while ago. I don't remember this. Yeah. There was two times, yeah, where people went to sleep with angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, obviously men can be sexually aroused by angels for whatever reason. So that could be an indication that fallen angels could have very well came down. I'm not saying that it's convincing or not, but this is one of the pros. Um, you see, uh, when I read uh, Genesis, there was a, some, um, yeah, someone was, I read a commentary on the whole, that whole story and it, it wasn't with the angels, uh, the men wanting to have sex with the angels. It, the commentary said that it wasn't because of arousal as much as it was dominance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like that, that was more of an act of, okay, there's these new people in town. We're going to show them that we're the boss. Mm. They have no authority over us. Sure. So we're going to do what we do to them. Do sure. what we do. I don't know. But I, don't, <laughs> I don't know about the other story with it, with arousal, though. So I mean, Sure. By all means, that uh, could very well. well. Along with that, I mean, that's just some arguments that people present, potentially. Yeah, sure. it, it all depends on how they interpret that mm. portion of Scripture. I'm not, of course, I'm not uh, going to agree or disagree with this. I'm just mm-hmm. presenting the facts, and we're going to walk through each view. Um, another pro for this view is that the book of Enoch, Jewish traditions, and Josephus hold this view. Josephus. Josephus. Yeah. You're, cl- you're close, Brosephus. Josephus. Brosephus? Yeah. So the most popular belief, again, is the fallen angels' view that the sons of God were fallen angels that came down to earth and had offspring, and the offspring were called Nephilim. And the cons, there's some cons for this also. And, and that is that the sin in Genesis 19 was one-sided. So it was the men that wanted to have relations with the angels. And it, it, there is no indication that the angels wanted to have relations with them. Mm. Um, another con is angels don't have human d- DNA to combine with a woman's DNA, although angels can take human form. But to assume that they had reproductive capabilities is a different discussion. Mm. You can't assume that based on the text. Um, another con is that there is no record of fallen angels ever appearing as men. Um, we, we have angels, regular angels. Oh, but fallen. That's yeah, we saying. have regular angels appearing as men, but never demons or fallen angels appearing hmm. as men anywhere else in Scripture. But we do have demon possession of men. Sure, and we're going to get there. That's one of the views. Um, okay, so the angels that were referred to as sons of God in 38.7 we're not describing fallen angels. It was just angels. Um, so we, are, we would be putting that into the text. Another con is that the book of Enoch is not the word of God. Mm. So we can't take that as infallible truths. Apocrypha. It's the word of Enoch. Mm. You guys know what apocrypha means? That was one of the biggest like uh, subjects of my senior project. He did oh, yeah? apologetics. I did the relationship between um, the evangelical churches and the Catholic churches. Mm. So, mm. Dope. I, it's good right. stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, there's a lot of evidence for both sides. Or there's more evidence for evangelical side, at least in my opinion. But yeah, okay. I'm familiar with the apocrypha. Sick. 
Sure. All right. So there's another con here. And in this text, it says that the sons of God started to marry. Right. So the Bible in Matthew 22, 30 and Mark 12, 25 that some some suggest that the Bible teaches that angels cannot marry based on these two texts. Again, I'm not going to say if I believe in that or not. What are the texts? The texts are Matthew 22, 30 and Mark <laughs> 12, 25. <laughs> well, we could read them. I could look them up if you want. Okay, so we have Matthew 22, 30. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. There, mm. um, and then we have Mark 12, 25. Mark 12, 25 says, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Uh, yeah, so it's literally the same wording. Yeah. So some, yeah. some may suggest that these verses teach that, like angels, we will not be married when we resurrect from the dead. But again, we would have to dive deeper into the text, but these are just some cons based on verses that people give. Um. So, yeah, that was the fallen angels, angels view. The second view, like I said, there's a lot of other views, but we're going to just go through these views um, that I believe are most popular. The fallen angel possession view, and that's something that Mark brought up earlier, right? That are that the sons of God are men possessed by demons, and the Nephilim were 100% human. So we have some pros and cons. The pros is demons can definitely possess people. That's definitely something that they can do. It's something we have scriptural evidence to back yeah. up. Yeah, so it, it could very well be demon-possessed people um, if that's the route you want to take. It's biblical to believe that. Another pro is this view leaves room for the Nephilim to appear pre-flood and then reappear later on since the Nephilim are mentioned again in Numbers 13. Hmm. Um, another pro is that the meaning of the word Nephilim is in context because the angels fell away. So you would see that pro consistent throughout all of these four. So that's why I kind of want to take an unbiased approach and just present them because they're all using the word Nephilim in context because they're all fallen people. Yeah, so now we have some cons. And that would be, would people who are overtaken by demons or fallen angels warrant the title sons of God? So why would a demon-possessed person be labeled as a son of God? That's, that's something that can be considered a con, unless someone has an explanation. No, all right. Another, another con is, what kept stumped? What kept the Nephilim from existing? Yeah. Sick. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, no problem. Another con is, what <laughs> kept the Nephilim from existing after Moses? So if this was something that could reoccur based on demons possessing people, why don't we see the Nephilim all throughout Scripture? Why does it just stop in numbers? So that's a con to this belief. And then third, we have the Sethite view. And that is probably the second most popular view that people take on this text. And that is that the sons of God were descendants of, of Seth, and we're going to get into that in a moment, but that the Nephilim were 100% human. And uh, we have some pros here. And the prose is that it appeals to the context of Genesis 5 and has good support to literary context. So they talk about Seth before in chapter Genesis chapter 5. So in context, if you were to, to um, look at the context of, of Genesis 6, you can then come to the conclusion that, you know what, in context, I would believe that this could very well be describing the descendants of Seth. 
And also another pro is that in context with the meeting of fallen or to fall, considering the godly line of Seth began to marry ungodly women, they fell away from God. So it makes sense to the meaning of the word Nephilim. Um, there are some cons here, as the rest of them. Um, why doesn't the Bible just simply say descendants of Seth or Cain? Why put a fancy name on something that's so simple, especially since it's in context? If the Bible is going to be telling you the story of Seth and Cain right before and now going into the same story, why put a fancy title to something that's so simple? So, I mean, maybe that's a long stretch and we're looking so deep into it, but it's a real question, right? Why would the God bring a highlight to something that's so simple? Another thing is, is this view indicating that all Seth's lineage was godly since many were not saved from the flood? So if these men were so godly, why weren't all of them saved from the flood? Mm-hmm. So it's just uh, something to think about. If there was a flood. If there was a flood. And we will discuss that in a little while. <laughs> all right. And we have a last view. And that is a fallen men view. This view can be... Disca- can be how do I say this? A word that you wrote. Yes, because I didn't know how to. Uh, which, I didn't know how to. I, tyrannical. Tyrannical. That's yeah. what I thought. I just didn't want to say it wrong. Tyrannical. Recording. I figured it was tyrannical. Yes. But tyrannosaurus. Tyrannosaurus. Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. 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 Had to figure out how to say it with the Jersey accent, right? Yeah. Tyrannical. How you yeah, doing? Yeah. Hey, how you doing? She? Tyrannical. Tyrannical. She. All right. We have a last view, and that is a fallen men view. Um, this view can be considered two. So some believe the fallen men were of the tyrannical dynasty of Lamech, <laughs> as some believe they were simply just fallen men. So it's technically five views, but we'll just bundle it up in one view, since the pros and cons are pretty much the same. So we have some pros here. And the Nephilim in Numbers 13 aren't limited to just Sethites. So if you're saying they're just fallen men or fallen rulers, you're not saying that they're from one lineage, so it leaves it open so you can technically say they were just fallen men, and it makes sense, um, since not all of the lineage of Sethites were saved in the flood. The second pro is that it holds consistency between the use of men in verse 1 and verse 2 of Genesis 6, keeping both as mankind. So if we study Genesis 6, verse 1 and 2, they're both in context, and they're both describing men as in mankind, and not some creature or some demon or some or anything like that. They're just simply just describing mankind. The third pro is that the Nephilim could have been men who have fallen away from God since we see the pattern of men falling away all throughout Scripture. So it's not taking anything out of context because men all throughout Scripture show a pattern of falling away and coming back, falling away and coming back. We see that throughout all the lives of the Israelites, right? So uh, now we have some cons. In the case that it is describing ancient rulers, which is the you know which is a belief ter- from the tyrannical dynasty of Lamech, the interpretation is built upon calling them the Nephilim men of renown. So they say, why would a man be called men of renown if they weren't rulers? So they assume that they're rulers, right? But number sixteen describes men of renown as men that were well known or famous. Obviously, if you have giants, which some texts. Um, some texts interpret this word as giants. If you have giants walking around, obviously they're going to be known. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't necessarily tell you that they were ancient rulers or 
or from any any type of king or anything like that because they were just simply known because they were giants apparently. Um, so that's that's something that could go either side. Another con is the other view as meant in a general sense doesn't keep Genesis six's context. So we're talking about Seth, and now right away we're talking about some random men that just so happen to have babies. Why would the Bible do that? It doesn't really make sense contextually. Um, it kind of just brushes it off and leaves a lot of unanswered questions like who were the men and why would the Bible be talking about these men out of context and not name them? So if you're naming them in Genesis 5, if you take that view, and now in Genesis 6 is just some random men, it just kind of doesn't make sense. Um, anyway, those are the four most popular views. Feel free to do a little bit more research or write us, write, write to us um, at BibleDingers at gmail.com and you can ask us further questions. But we just wanted to hit on the most common popular beliefs on Genesis 6, Nephilim and the Sons of God. Yeah. Claps for you. Yay. Claps. Claps for Nikki. That's the first of five. This is a passage I just totally brushed over the first time I read Genesis. I thought, like, you, you went into all this detail, and I, like, would have never thought, mm. you know. Well, you know, I just want to say something on that. On your, on your lack of reading. <laughs> no, no, not even that. How stupid I am. So it's either, <laughs> it's either t people tend to read over it, or people <coughs> tend to spend too much time on it. Mm. So there are so many things that worth studying. In Genesis 6, you can really take any of these four views, and it would technically be biblical. We don't have to be so dogmatic and argumentative. Technically? Well, yeah, it, because all of these views um, hold some type of biblical weight. Mm. They, they use verses to prove their points. What I'm saying is... You're saying it's really, not heresy. We really don't know who the Nephilim are. You know, it, there's nothing that says, that's it. That's who they well, were, and that's You it. don't know, Nikki, but I do. <laughs> if you know, good for you. <laughs> I'm happy for Mark. I'm just saying it's not worth arguing who the Nephilim are. There are four views. We all hold, I think we all hold different views on this text. It's not a matter of going to heaven or hell. I don't think so, I hold a view on this text at all. What? I don't think I hold a view at all. Really? On this text, yeah. It's just kind of, you can see them all, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm saying. It, so many people spend so much time debating or, or fighting over this one part of scripture and they're wasting time. Uh, it's worth studying. Now that we study it, we can move on to probably a more interesting topic. Round right? two. Why don't we switch it up and go to one of you guys? Okay. One I mean, you I, good? Go I mean, mine's a bit lighter than Carl, so. Cool. Sure. Let's yeah. do it. So, in the Bible, we have people pre-flood living to around over 900 years old. So, it's always something weird that you brush on and I'm like, oh, well that happened so why did people live to 900 well originally it demonstrated god's mercy and god's generosity that's just a practical thing but it also helped humans just earthly in earthly sense because it helped them develop technologically like if hmm. people are only live in 20 30 years you're not going to get a lot done so if people are living longer humans can make rapid developments in their growth interesting so why did God limit life afterwards? Because we have these people living up to 900 and it dies down to under 120. Well, 
the world became wicked, and if evil people live longer, they can do more evil. So I think in a way that's one of the th- reasons that people live younger. Uh, nowadays, medical professionals realize that we can't live around past 120. I think there are those crazy freak people that can like freaks. Make- <laughs> yeah. They can live longer, but now you know, <laughs> freaks. Yeah. So just before we get into the science of it, just talking about like the Bible is not the only religious text with people living over a thousand years old and cultures like the Chinese, the Indians, Roman myths, Greek myths, they all mention longer lifespans in their books. And then from Adam to Noah, the patriarchs lived up to 969, Methuselah. And then after the flood, the lifespans keep dropping. They don't go down dramatically all the way down to 120, but they keep dropping. And then by the time of Abraham, he dies at the age of 175. So he's still pretty old. Hmm. So, Scientifically, what causes aging? Well, we're not completely sure scientifically. There's, it's still up in the air. Uh, about 20 to 30% of the factors that determine how long you live are just genetic traits that you carry on from birth, and there's not much you can do about it. Interesting. Uh, potentially, we could have had genetic mutations. There's about This actually shocked me, but we have about 1,000 mutations per generation as we grow. Wow. Uh, the main, so the main theories around this derive around genetic bottlenecks. This is the idea that all of a sudden with the flood, all of a sudden there's like six people left, I think it is, and all of a sudden all the potential DNA has been limited to these six people. So an event like a flood could have caused a bottleneck. So there's two main views on this topic, the old earth view and the young earth view. They're pretty similar, but they differ in some areas. So young earth wise, it's a literal interpretation. So everyone actually lived to those dates. There's some people would say, well, those numbers are figurative, imaginative. So we could just be, I could just be wasting my time and actually no one actually lived that long, but I don't know. So you think that's because, um, they didn't, maybe they didn't have like a formal sense of keeping track of time. And so someone who was really old, they're just like, Oh, he was 900, 900, you know, (laughs) I mean, I guess it's possible. You never know. Uh, so, Young Earth-wise, they believe everyone lived those dates. They believe all the rock layers, you know, formed quickly with the flood. And so one of their points is the Earth was a lot more tropical before the flood. And after the flood, lifespans started to drop dramatically. And this could have been because of an ice age. I'm not, it's not exactly clear how that would have had had affected it, but a major climate change could have changed aging in general. Uh, They say that the bottlenecks and mutation rates could have affected the lifespan significantly. Rapid DNA mutation in small population can cause big changes. Hmm. And also, mutations are often negative and would cause lifespan to drop more likely than they would to increase lifespan. It's, it seems like we're almost devolving from a mutation standpoint. Hmm. Uh, signs of aging? Well, there's these things called telomeres, which are long sequences of DNA at the end of each chromosome, which shorten each time the DNA copies, and eventually they become sh- too short to copy. So certain genes have strong traits, such as people who live over 100, and such as, I'm not going to read that, <laughs> something really confusing with a protein in it, uh, which is a gene that regulates cholesterol. So, something else that's sciencey too. It's just science. <laughs> <laughs> that's science. the other reason. <laughs> yeah. So it's just kind of saying that our DNA is kind of shortening in a way, so maybe our lifespan's gotcha. shortening. So hmm. it also could be a psychological factor because a lot of our body really doesn't age but keeps repairing 
repairing itself. Like the lining of our intestines gets replaced every four days. Our red blood cells are replaced every 90 days. And the vast majority of our body is actually under 10 years old. So in conclusion with that younger view, we don't know. I mean, there's not a clear cut answer because it's just, it'd be too hard to study, at least in my opinion. But there is potentially evidence that lifespans could have lasted a lot longer. And then the old earth view, a lot of the same points reside in it. Uh, one different thing is, I think this actually comes from Hugh Ross, is the Vela Supernova. Which, this was a major astronomical event that occurred 20 to 30,000 years ago. And it's basically a star that provided a lot of deadly cosmic radiation that has exploded and could have contributed to the significant drop in lifespans. And a lot of old earthers, mm. at least from the article I read from Hugh Ross believed that the flood was about twenty to 30,000 years ago, and it's the same time, so you have the small population, and it could have affected their DNA in a way to signif- to drop the lifespan. That's very interesting. So, hmm. just to wrap this up, it is clear that God intended to shorten life. In Genesis 6-3, it talks about how he would limit lifespan to 120, hmm. but at the end of the day, there may not be a scientific answer to this question. We're dealing with an all-powerful God who can control everything, so I mean... We may never know, but those are just some theories and evidence. So, yeah. That's awesome. Man. Very cool. That was very good. I think any more applause, please. <laughs> Sick. That was round two. Round three? Um, I'll go. Marky? Yeah. Yeah. Hit us. <laughs> okay. Um, so, sexism is a big topic today, right? Um, like go to any college campus and there's going to be marches and all this stuff going on, uh, you know, sexual awareness, um, sexual violence awareness, but there's even sexual awareness, you know, the whole last 100 years about like, uh, freeing up our sexual habits, you know? Yeah. But that's, that's more of a movement in the face of religion and God. Mm -hmm. But, um, I say all this to say that the topic of sexism in the Bible is no easy topic. And, um, I'm just going to start with actually a quote from Joe Vitale, who was part of the uh, Zacharias. She's actually the dean of the of studies at the Zacharias Institute. Shout out, Joe. Yeah, with that one clap. Yeah. Uh, and if you guys don't know, Ravi Zacharias, he's an incredible apologist, and he's done so much work uh, in that field, and he's just amazing. Uh, so Joe Vitale, uh, she has this quote that says, uh, this is people's assumption if God is perfect and eternal, then whenever he gives laws, those laws must also be perfect and eternal. So this is uh, an example of an assumption that many people probably have without knowing it. Or that's why it's an assumption. Um, because we know that uh, in the Bible talks about how God uh, was always good. Um, he's eternal and he's perfect. So it would naturally follow that the laws that he gives us are also perfect and eternal. Um, but if we actually study scripture, um, it really comes to show that this was not the case at all. And even Jesus himself says that he didn't come to abolish the law, right? He was the fulfillment of the law. Hmm. And so the law was not meant to be eternal. Um, it was a temporary thing. And this can be difficult for a lot of people to grasp that. Um, I mean, whenever you look up on skeptic sites, they're always quoting Leviticus. Yeah. They, they love to pull out the uh, you know, weird verses that we would think today. Uh, you know, out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And Shout stuff out like Weird Verse Wednesday. Weird Verse Wednesday, yeah. <laughs> Even though we missed last week. But it yeah. Yes, Nick missed last week. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. 
So, right, we, we like to, or skeptics like to look at Leviticus and say, aha, you know, your God is sexist, he's uh, genocidal, he likes to kill people, all this stuff. He doesn't like to treat but women you nicely. Say that. Yeah, you don't say that. Um, so, uh, just really quick, uh, we can't forget the context of the Old Testament. Um, so, God is dealing with humans living in a post fall world. We're sinners and our lives are messy, but, um, you know, ancient Israel, even though they were God's chosen people, they were also just as messy. And, you know, the Old Testament is filled with uh, stories of slavery, injustice, idolatry, child sacrifice, frequent warfare, bad hygiene, rape, incest. <laughs> bad hygiene. <laughs> that's, I mean, <laughs> that's something, you know. <laughs> Where'd you find this? It's, it's part of yeah, it. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, so, listen, you rape, might. Rape, sacrifice, bad hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> bad hygiene? I'm sorry. I'm Should sorry. I cut it? No, no. no it was awesome. It's great. <laughs> it was <laughs> awesome. These are things that skeptics bring up. Um, so they didn't have deodorant. <laughs> People weren't brushing their teeth. <laughs> I won't be a Christian because they couldn't shower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Oh man. Um, you know, should have so got a loofah, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> so. We read the Old Testament, all this stuff is in there, and we might be asking, why is this in the Bible? Does this mean that all this stuff is okay? And, um, I mean, as Paul says in Romans 6, by no means, right? Mm. Um, that would just be taking the Old Testament wildly out of context to just assume that everything that's in there is condoned. Mm. Um, a lot of times we're given these stories uh, that display bad human behavior as a way to teach us how not to act. We also have to remember and realize just how removed our culture is from ancient Israel. In order to fully understand these difficult passages, um, we need to read them through the cultural context of a society that existed around 3,000 years ago. Uh, so just think about how different a place America was 100 years ago. Mm. Um, you know, this is such an important point to drive home. Um, it's been 3,000 years since these laws were given. Mm. It's a completely different world. Yeah. So that's just a bit of an opener. Um, I actually want to go to Genesis to talk about this. Genesis makes clear that God made all humans in his image, not just men. And so we're going to be looking at the topic of sexism right now. Um, Genesis 1.27 says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, you know, this doesn't point out that, you know, men had some special position here. It doesn't point out that women did or that they were lower um, you know, it just says that God created men and women in his image, male and female. Uh, within the creation account of Genesis, God finishes his days by describing how good his creation was. But notice what God says about Adam after creating him. And just focus in on that word good, right? He says, uh, you know, God made the heavens and the earth and it was good and all that. And uh, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is just right for him. Hmm. And so um, right off the bat, with the creation of man, there's uh, you know, an, an inadequacy here, and um, there's something that's not right. And so as the story goes, Eve was created from Adam's rib. Uh, God's plan from the beginning was for men and women to live together in harmony. God made men and women to be partners, not adversaries. Mm -hmm. Women were actually created by God because he noticed how deficient men were by themselves. Not only that, but he made women to be just right for men, meaning that the two are equal in value. Hmm. If we see sexism in the Bible, it's because humans are sinful, not because God somehow condones it or enjoys it. If we see sexual violence in the Bible, it's because humans are sinful, 
not because God wanted people to abuse each other. Every terrible thing we see in the Bible is because humans are sinful, not God. God is not sexist. Mm. Mic drop. Preach. Episode over. Good stuff. Um, Really quick, let's actually go into one of these passages that are often brought up. Okay, Deuteronomy 21, 10 to 14. Suppose you go out to war against your enemies and the Lord your God hands them over to you and you take some of them as captives. And suppose you see among the captives a beautiful woman and you are attracted to her and want to marry her. If this happens, you may take her to your home where she must shave her head, cut her nails, and change the clothes she has been wearing where she was captured. She will stay in your home and let her mourn for her father and mother for a full month. Then you may marry her and you will be her husband and she will be your wife. But if you marry her and she does not please you, you must let her go free. You may not sell her or treat her as a slave, for you have humiliated her. Hmm. So right here, this is um, right. This is Moses in Deuteronomy telling the is- Israelites, if you go out to war and you see a beautiful woman in one of the towns you captured, you can marry her. And um, you know that's a that's a statement. Yeah. You know, um, and then people are like, oh, you believe in the Bible, so you know you believe in this stuff. You, you can just go take women that you find pretty. Yeah. Right. Uh, but that's missing the context. Um, and the context here is we need to compare ancient Israel to the surrounding nations at that time and what they were doing. And, um, you know, the Bible, especially in Judges, gets into uh, detail about just how wicked these surrounding nations were, like the Canaanites. Um, and, you know, they were doing stuff like child sacrifices before they went into battle or child sacrifices for, like, fertility, you know, mm. um, just all this terrible stuff. And the, they definitely did not treat women well. Uh you know, stuff like rape and all that was going on. It was pretty rampant. Mm. Um, and in Deuteronomy, this is how we need to look at this passage right here. We have to remember that most women were either raped or killed as prisoners of war. God actually made provisions for the women's life to be redeemed instead of ruined. Mm. He allowed her to enter into marriage, and she could even leave if things weren't going well. God wasn't going to change Israel overnight, so instead he was changing what he could at the time. Um, so... If we really expect that at that moment when God was giving the law to the Israelites that he was going to make this egalitarian 21st century society, hmm. um, that's just unrealistic. Uh, people do not change that fast. Um, so he, God had to work within the context of what, what type of social change was you know, actually going to happen at that time. Hmm. And you know, the type of uh, equality within gender it was still thousands of years off. But uh, God was starting something good that no one else was doing at this time, no other surrounding nations. It's awesome. Sick. I think it's good. Oh. Shout out to Mark. Live studio audience. We got another two (laughs) topics left, but before we do that... Breaking news on Bible Dingers News Network. I got some fake news or real news for you. You ready for this? Let's do it. No. Let's do it. I said, are you ready for this? No. No. I do this every time. You guys wouldn't know that. Are you ready to rumble? No. Hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. What? You ready for this? Are you about to fart? No. (laughs) No, Nick, he never does that. (laughs) What? (laughs) Get that coat out of my face, bro. Uh, okay. Anyway, you ready for this? 
fake news or real news. So just in case you guys haven't figured it out yet, I give you a headline and you have to you have to decide whether or not you think it's a real or fake headline. All right? Let's do it. You ready for this? Let's do it. Church apologizes after pastor allows youth group to spit on, slap, and cut him during Easter lesson. What? Is this fake oh, news or real news? First of all, Easter hasn't happened yet, so... Well, it could be an old story. Um, this is one of those times I wish we had like a video camera so the audience could actually see our faces yeah. when we read <laughs> that. <laughs> Just Sounds like he's uh, kind of a weirdo. Fake news or real news? I didn't say if it was weird or not, because he, he quite possibly couldn't exist, you know? Oh. Uh, this or is didn't exist. Like so an Nephilim. Weird. This guy's an Nephilim. <laughs> I'm going to go with real news, just because there's so many just oddballs out there. I mean, okay. anything's possible. The world's mm-hmm. a messed up place. That's true. I think I'm going to go with real news, because you think of the Easter story, Jesus was beaten, spit on, cursed uh. dead, so I think... I think okay. that it could be real news. He's trying to go th- give a very visual representation of that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. He sounds like he's from Pennsylvania. All right, Carl. <laughs> Ooh. Definitely. I, I, was, I was raised in Pittsburgh, so he's definitely from Central Pennsylvania, Zach. <laughs> All right, Zach and Carl say real news. What does Mark and Ryan say? Uh, I'm going to go with real as well. Fake. Real? No, I'm, I'm saying fake. You're saying fake? That's so messed up. All right, majority win, so I have to respond to them. Okay, it's fine. All right, so it is real news. I news it. I news it. I news it. So as always, I'll give you a wow. short, short, short synopsis of so actually what happened. An Ohio church is apologizing. Ohio. It's of course it's Ohio, Ohio. to the community. Actually, I would have thought it was Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah. don't, oh. don't throw shade in my homeland. After <laughs> born, born there. Oh, yeah. so. Cool. They're apologizing after an Easter lesson on the crucifixion of Christ led a youth pastor to invite his students to spit on him, slap, and cut him with a steak knife. They said, in no way do we condone that students or anyone else should be spit on, should slap them, or use a weapon to harm anyone (laughs) or or harm themselves. (laughs) Um, So they said that in a video post to the church Facebook page. Um, Hold on. I want to get to the juicy part. Ooh, it gets juicier. (laughs) <laughs> so this guy went And he was teaching his youth you Used to be a youth pastor, right, Ryan? Can you imagine doing yes, this? Uh, yeah, for sure Yeah, you would do So this, he Ryan. goes Yeah, for sure So he, 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 he started it off in segments He goes If there's anyone here that would like to slap me You can do so <laughs> without any repercussions And then he oh said, alright And the kids were like, wait, should I do this? Yeah, yeah, why not? Let me do it Of course they're gonna And, and, they, and they, they hacked the loogie right on his face and then he was like, if anybody wants to smack me, and some of the kids were like, no, don't do it. And all these kids are recording it on Facebook, uh, and it, it went viral, right? I never heard and, about this. And yeah. they, they spit on him, right? And then the guy gave him a steak knife, and they're like, he's what? like, if anybody wants to cut my back, they cut my back. And somebody did it? And they cut his back, dude. What? They cut his back. No. How could anyway, you do that? A voice was recorded saying, don't do it, while a peer took the blade and cut his back. What? Oh, my gosh. Yep. So, so listen to his explanation. All right. So, the pastor said, we exist to create an environment that is safe and predictable for students to come. Safe. Parents were flipping out. So safe. But... <laughs> 
gosh. <laughs> but the youth pastor then had to make a public <laughs> statement. He goes, it was just not appropriate, and it was in bad judgment. I'm sorry for misrepresenting the community, the church, and the parents, and the students. Anybody that I hurt, this was not my intention. My intention was to just show them how much Jesus loved them and that I love them as a student leader for almost four years now. Tonight was an anomaly, and it was not normally what happens. Again, I'm deeply sorry for the pain that I have caused, but this story, man, can you imagine that? It's pretty This guy's back's bleeding. Nuts. What a youth group. I want to go to that youth group. Yeah, that sermon seemed pretty cutting edge. Right? Oh. You want to do no? another one? No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, we have two more topics. Carl, you want to go? I, all right, Pastor Carl. All right. <laughs> so this is the whole idea of is God evil in the Old Testament? This is like one of the main reasons that I've seen atheists have for not um, believing in Christ. They say, okay, you claim that Christ and God are the same person, the same entity. So Christ is all, also would also then be responsible for all these terrible things that happened in the Old Testament. And I think, like, Richard Dawkins, he's, this is his main argument against yeah. mm-hmm. Christianity and religion in general. But the thing, the thing is that atheists instinctively, like, put the burden, they instinctively put the burden of proof on us. Mm-hmm. But if they're claiming that Jesus and God are the same person, that means that God is also the, Jesus is the same as God in the Old Testament, but that also means that God of the Old Testament is the same as Jesus. Mm, interesting. So that all the quote unquote evil things that God in the Old Testament did, if he's the same as Jesus, he would also have to be equally responsible for all the amazing things that Jesus does in mm. the New Testament. Fantastic. Point. I never thought about that. Mm. Also, then uh, the whole like genocide. Genocide is one of the main uh, points made in this whole argument that. Genocide is evil. God condones genocide, so yeah, God's evil. But the greatest gift that God had given to the people of the Old Testament, He hadn't given them given them Jesus yet, but He gave them their life. Hmm. And if someone gives you a gift, if a father gives a gives a car to his son, all right, we'll take this analogy. A father gives a car to his son. The son goes, and he's driving 80 in a school zone, he's acting recklessly, and he's putting other people's lives in danger. What's the father's responsibility at that point? Take it. Take it. Should the father give it back at some point? Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably. But then the son goes and does it again immediately. Ooh. Father, t- you, eventually, you got to take the car forever. Yeah. You, mm. you got to get mm. rid of the car. Yeah. So if God's gift to the Canaanites and the um, Amalekites is their lives and they go and they completely like throw these away and they're putting other people's lives in danger. You see what uh, the Canaanites did. They worshiped the God Moloch, which they had, they had a, uh, ask anyone listening to close your eyes and imagine this. There's a bronze bull with a oven in its stomach Uh, or not even a bronze bull, but a bronze like bull man. Okay. Head of a bull body of a man. There's a furnace in its stomach. The, um, the arms of the statue are shaped as to hold a baby. And what they do is they take babies like almost as soon as they were born and put them into the arms of the statue, light the fire in its stomach and wait for the baby to die. They beat their drums so loudly that the parents who were right there with it couldn't hear the baby's screams. Mm. Brutal. And genocide against those people is wrong. Why? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Like they're obviously misusing the gift that God gave them. 
Would we still uh, call it genocide? Yeah, right. So, yeah, genocide almost makes it seem as like they're just innocent people just randomly yeah, I think getting yeah. picked off. Genocide usually means like without reason, just killing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And God definitely had his yeah. reasons, right? Mm. Yeah. Genocide, I think genocide re- usually means the reason for killing is their ra- their race. Right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't really say genocide per se, but cleansing, <laughs> which has the really... A kind of a negative tone purge. as well. But <laughs> yeah, purge. Yeah, so it's well within God's rights. And honestly, I don't think very many people would claim that it was bad for God to do that, for, bad for God to take these people and get them out. They're har- not just harming themselves, but they're also harming innocent people. Hmm. They're like well, the sun, sun in the school zone. With what are you going to say? No, especially when you paint the picture of uh, the sacrifices they were doing, definitely. Yeah, it's... It's well within God's right, God's right to do that, and it's well within his character to do so as well. Mm. And now if someone's still not convinced by either of those, there's also the metaphorical interpretation of this, um, of the whole, of Israel's genocide and God being evil by condoning that, that you can look at it not as Israel going to kill all, all of these people for the idea of killing them, but the metaphor that says good is going to destroy evil. Hmm. Hyperboles are very common in the Old Testament. You see them hmm. all throughout there. So the I think it's Joshua six twenty one, right? I don't have that written down, but the verse that says they um, dedicated the city and wiped out every man, woman, and child. Yeah, it could just be saying, look, we completely obliterated these people. Mm-hmm. You, when you say that, um, I don't know, uh, the Jets annihilated the. Uh, the giants which wouldn't happen but i mean it would now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it probably now. would now yeah <laughs> you're not saying that the jets like literally wiped the giants off the face of the earth right you're saying that the jets beat them by i don't know 20 some points mm-hmm. yeah it's metaphor figure of speech so the whole like idea of israel annihilating these cities could have been that israel just won a really a really substantial victory over them. Mm-hmm. Now, the, there is that a con to that interpretation is that the whole idea of Israel taking spoils back and God saying, look, you're not going to take any spoils back. You're going to wipe out all these people. If, if you take spoils back, you're sinning and there's going to be a lot of bad that comes from this. So it seems, at least in that light, that this isn't the way that it's meant to be interpreted, that it was, it's, it's interpreted to be like, they literally went and killed everyone that they could. They saw all of the women, children and livestock, but I don't, I don't want to ramble on. I just want to touch on the idea of killing women and children because it's really just, that's one of the main points against this. Like why not just kill the men and then I don't know, let the women and children live, but the religion in times in ancient times wasn't necessarily based on personal choice as much as it was on your family line. Hmm. You hear many times in the old Testament, God, the God of our fathers. Hmm. And you see constantly that, um, religion is passed down from fathers to sons and daughters and they stay in that one religion. So if you let these, um, the women and children live, not you're keeping that idea of worshiping Moloch alive. Hmm. Interesting. Because eventually they find out, oh, Israel did this to our fathers for just practicing their religion. 
we're going to revolt. We're going to go back and start doing that again. Hmm. And we're going to, and the cycle is just going to keep continuing un- until God condones is and God like tells Israel to put an end to the cycle completely. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like when you paint the picture of who they were and what they were doing, you know, I think it's, it's easier. It's easy for critics, I guess, of the Bible to paint it as a genocide. But, I feel like we're kind of hypocritical on that because you don't see people calling us going into Germany and wiping out the Nazi party as a genocide, or you don't see people calling it a genocide when we're going into, um, you know, Arabic areas and wiping out groups of ISIS. You know, we don't call it genocide. We think of that as justice here in the West, but I feel like it's, it's really just, um, a view that the critic takes because they want to paint God as evil. an evil being. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's also like the view of death. Like, I mean, if Christianity is true, we don't we physically die, but we don't spiritually die. We're just changing locations. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And if anything, God was responding to genocide. Yeah, he wasn't producing yeah. genocide. Right, like ending it. Yeah, he was ending right genocide. Cool, cool. It's good stuff. Cool. All right, so the last topic we're going to do is me, and we're going to talk about the flood. The last, talk about Ryan. <laughs> the last topic is you. The last topic is mine. Is Ryan. Is what about. I meant. <laughs> He's a great guy. Uh, did you have something more to say, girl? Nope. Okay. I was going to make a... Uh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, joke. I see where you're going. You can take jokes. I'm the, same, can take jokes. I'm the same way. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm his filter. To oh, stop him. Oh, I see. That's good. It's a good dynamic. It's entirely true. anyways the last topic is going to be the flood um there's a lot of controversy on whether it was actually a global flood that happened or not um there are two major views in the biblical flood story there's the global flood or the local flood and within those theories there are kind of sub theories there's for the global flood there is two theories there's the early global flood or there's the late global flood some say that it was global and it was like 20,000 years ago. Some say it was global and it was like 6,000 years ago. Um, and then as far as the local flood goes, there's like three sub theories and there's the Mesopotamian plain theory. There's the Mesopotamia, Arabia and Persian Gulf theory. And then there's the black sea overflow theory. And also um, there, there are differences in the local flood some people think that it wiped out all of humanity, and some people think it just wiped out a certain portion of humanity. Mm. Um, typically, young Earth creationists hang out in the global flood camp, and old Earth creationists hang out in the local flood camp. It's not always the case, but it is kind of typical mm-hmm. uh, if we're just kind of stereotyping beliefs. Um, I'm going to hit on the global flood first, and... Honestly, whether there was a global flood or not isn't necessarily a scientific debate right now. Um, As in, it's not debated among mainstream scientists whether it happened or not. Most of them generally agree that it didn't happen. However, most of them also generally agree that God isn't real. Um, So that's that's really only an argument from authority um, and not a good argument in my, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but it is more of like a theological and biblical debate. 
Although there is, you know, there is good scientists that do believe in a global flood that happened recently. Um, I'm not taking away from them. I'm just saying that the majority of mainstream scientists do not accept that there was a recent global flood or even that a global flood could have occurred. Um, people like um, the Institute for Creation Research, people like Ken Ham's Answers in Genesis, scientists from these um, scientists from these institutions do believe that there was a global flood. So they start with biblical evidence. Um, and the biggest support for a global flood is Genesis chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. And those verses say, uh, starting in verse 19, They rose greatly on the earth, meaning the waters, and all the high mountains under the entire heaven were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. So these verses seem to make it evident that the whole earth was covered and every living thing on the entire earth had died besides what was on Noah's ark. Um, Could this also be like what we were saying earlier about exaggeration in the Bible? It could be, yes. So... There, there are a couple rebuttals to this. Um, they, they say that the word mountains used in this verse is the word har, which can mean a mountain, but it could also mean a hill or it could just mean an elevated area. Um, also, the second counterpoint that I've heard is that they say that global flood supporters aren't actually including the entirety of Scripture in order to build their flood theology. And I'll get into that more, but... A lot of local flood supporters say that you are only focusing on this portion of scripture without interpreting the rest of the scriptures that talk about the flood. Um, as far as extra biblical evidence for a global flood, a strong support of a global flood is that there are hundreds of stories all over the world of a major catastrophic flood. And that seems to suggest that after Noah's descendants scattered and populated the earth, that they passed down the story of the flood and it reached all around the world. Um, a guy named James Perloff, who is a creation scientist, he observed that a global flood was mentioned in 95% of the stories um, uh, as far as these global flood stories that, that are around the world. 95% of them, the flood was global. People were saved in a boat in 70% of them. And in 57% of them, the survivors um, were found on a mountain. So they landed on a mountain after the global flood. I never knew this. Yeah. Um, so they would say that that's evidence that there was a global flood because in all these cultures, and I've even heard it claimed that like, um, what are those people groups that haven't been contacted? Uncontacted people groups. <laughs> yeah, it sounds right. Um, yeah. So I've heard the claims that even uncontact on uncontacted, <laughs> I've I've heard the claims that um even uncontacted people groups um have stories of global floods. So that's kind of some support for a global oh, flood. So they mm. are contacted. <laughs> Specifically, I heard Bodie Hodge, who is a creation scientist with Answer and Gen Answers in Genesis, say that he knew a guy 
who was a missionary to an uncontacted people group, and he was the first person to ever learn their language and communicate with them, and that people group had a story about a global flood. Mm. So that's the claim. Wow. Um, another perceived evidence of a global flood is that you can find fossils of marine life high up on mountains, which is true. You can find whale bones on mountains. You can find little shells on mountains. Uh, and that seems to point to a time where water had covered mountains. Um, but a rebuttal that most scientists would give to that is that young Earth supporter, young Earth global flood supporters reject the extended process that created mountain ranges and other major geological features. And because of that, they reject the fact that those marine animals may have died and fossilized and then plate tectonics caused the mountains to um, mm. form. So that's what modern scientists' explanation is for these fossils that are on mountains. See, that doesn't really make sense because the mountains would have risen out of the ocean before life started, right? Especially whales of that size, right? Because possibly Mount Everest is going up like half an inch every couple hundred years. Mm-hmm. So in order to get it for it to get that high, it'd have to start a long time ago. And I don't think, at least I'm not, I'm not sure about this, but it seems that life would have began after mountains were out of the ocean. I guess the question is, um, did marine life still exist during the flood? Like modern day marine life. Yeah. Or at least whales that could have died during the flood. Right. Oh yeah. So we're going to get into that in a second. Um, but that is the rebuttal that some people have to creation scientists that say this points to a global flood. Another evidence of a global flood is that a large majority of the Earth's fossils are found within a specific layer of sediments in the geologic column. They would say that this was from the flood and that layers were quickly deposited on top of this layer afterwards because of the catastrophic conditions caused by the flood. Um, and there are a couple rebuttals to this as well. Rock, rock layers are not deposited quickly, and we've observed that it is a s- slow, long process. Global flood supporters, however, rebut to this by saying that we've also observed rock layers depositing quickly, and they'll refer to volcanic eruptions like Mount St. Helens as an example, um, that you see quick depositing of rock layers when there's a, a catastrophic event that occurs. Um also, another rebuttal that some scientists have to to this argument is that 99% of the fossils in the rock layer are from animals that are extinct. So that means if there was a global flood, it should have wiped out animals of every kind, not just dinosaurs and other ancient extinct animals. There are also no human humans in this rock layer. So you would expect to see them if it was a global flood that killed everything across the planet. Oh. Um, and but you only really see dinosaurs and other ancient animals. There are a few more rebuttals worth noting to global flood. Um, Global flood supporters need to explain the passage of animals to other parts of the world after leaving the ark. Some say that um, there was an ice age that happened after the flood, and this caused land bridges and other means of transportation for these animals to get to these other areas. Um, However, you don't see a path of fossils on the way from the Middle East to these other areas. 
So you would expect to see, and this is Bill Nye's argument, when he faces Ken Ham in the debate, you would expect to see kangaroos making their way from the Middle East to Australia, and you'd expect to see kangaroo bones on the way to Australia, but you don't see that. They're condensed to Australia and only Australia. Um, another rebuttal some people have to a global flood is that there's a not enough water on the earth and in the atmosphere to cover Mount Everest. If there was at one point, where did that water go? And they say that um, you can't just say that it evaporates because it's not in the atmosphere and it didn't just float out into space. Um, uh, aliens. <laughs> it's good. Very good. Um, so, yeah. So, if water completely covered the earth, one, where did it go? Also, they say that it would be evenly distributed around the entire planet if it was global. And so, where would the water go if it was to be drained? Global flood supporters, however, have a rebuttal to this, and they say that God created the valleys and changed the topography of the earth in order to cause the water to drain. So the argument is that water covered... This is by people who don't believe in a global flood. The argument is that water covered the earth and it was evenly distributed around the earth. Where could it possibly go to drain since it was evenly distributed across the whole earth? And then global flood supporters would answer that and say that God caused there to be places for the water to drain. And that's where you get the Grand Canyon and things like that. Um, I've also heard, and I don't know this argument very well, but I've heard that if the, uh, if the water would have covered the entire earth at such a rate that it covered the highest mountains that the earth's crust would collapse on itself because it couldn't handle the pressure of that. Hmm. So that's the global flood. And there's, Evidence is both ways. If you're interested in hearing about the global global arguments, people like Bodie Hodge, Ken Ham, uh, Institute for Creation Research, they're your go-to. Um, they are the ones who really have a lot of teaching and a lot of research into it. The second view is the local flood. And local flood supporters tend to claim that the global flood supporters are not using the whole Bible in order to prove their claims. Rather, they're only using the text in Genesis there are typically 10 to 11 passages that local flood supporters would use in order to prove their claims instead of just Genesis. Their claim is that the flood was not global, but it was worldwide. Essentially, that it didn't cover the geographic earth, but it destroyed all of existence in that region because that was the entire known world. Um, and here's the biblical evidence for local flood supporters. They say that there are scriptures all over that speak about something involving the world that actually refers to something much smaller. There are a ton of examples in the Bible where it exaggerates, like we were talking about before, or uses language that seems to mean the entire globe, but, clear, but clearly does not actually mean that. And I have a few examples here. And the first one is in Genesis itself. It's Genesis chapter 41, verses 56 and 57. And it says, so when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to buy Joseph to, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. So clearly this is another catastrophe that would seemingly be covering all the earth, is what it says, and all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain. So that seems unlikely. Also, 1 Kings 4.34, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, 
and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Seems unlikely, and it seems uh, like it's exaggerating a little bit. First Kings chapter 10, verse 24, And the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. Romans 1, 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Colossians 1, 23, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. So he's saying that the Colossians preached to every creature which is under heaven, which also seems unlikely. Hmm. Um, We'll keep going with the biblical evidence. Second Peter makes a distinction when discussing the flood, seeming to narrow down the world. So these are discuss, discussing the actual flood. It says in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, that the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. The term here is tote cosmos, which basically means the world at the time the events took place. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Second Peter here seems to be making a distinction. The Hebrew word term, Eretz, used in the flood narrative in Genesis, is actually translated as land 80% of the time it is used. If the translators had instead used land... The verses would read like this. Now the land was corrupt in God's sight, and the land was filled with violence. And God saw that the land was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the land. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the land to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the land shall die. Hebrews has a much more decisive word, which means the actual entire earth, which is tetel. It is used in passages such as Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Um, So that's what local flood supporters use as far as Bible goes to support the fact that they have um, a local flood on their hands and not a global flood. As far as extra biblical evidence, most of these are made up of the rebuttals to the global flood stance, which I've already laid out. Um, as there's not really a necessity to prove that there was a local flood because local floods happen consistently all over the globe. Also, a few of these have already been stated, such as scientific consensus, the geologic layers, no humans or modern animals mixed in with the fossils, um, and the tracing of kangaroos and all that stuff. Marine life would not have survived the mixing of salt water and fresh water. So those that were not killed by the mixing would have been killed by the water pressure or the loss of their feeding ground by a global flood. Also, the Bible says that God dried up the land by sending a great wind that would have done nothing if the water was equally distributed around the earth. A great wind would, however, be able to move a local flood into oceans, lakes, etc. If that is the way that he dried up the earth. All right, here's it. How powerful was this wind, though? You know, <laughs> it's something you could produce. That's for sure. <laughs> After some White Castle, 
had some strong winds myself. All right, another extra biblical evidence actually involves um, the Bible, and it's Genesis eight, chap- chap- chapter eight, verse eleven, and it's the olive leaf, and that says that the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Um, and something interesting about olive trees, they're very particular in their environmental needs. One of them being that they need well-drained soil in order to survive. Soil with too much water in it would kill the tree. Um, also, a global year-long flood would have certainly killed all the plant life of the world. This tree would have needed time for the soil to dry out and to grow into a tree. Um, the sapling would not the sapling would not be a large enough organism to produce the leaves. Um, and also it seems more likely that the dove flew to an area outside of the flood zone. So basically to wrap it all up, global flood supporters say that Genesis six through eight are clear that the whole earth was flooded and this, and that this catastrophic flood created the sedimentary layers and major features of the earth. Local flood supporters claim to use the entire Bible to define the meaning of Genesis 6 through 8 and build a case against a global flood using scientific data. Um, so there's good points to both sides. Like I said earlier, Answers in Genesis Institute for Creation Research. If you um, want to learn more about the global flood, if you want to learn more about the local flood, Hugh Ross is a great um, teacher of that, and he has some lectures online about it. So, yeah, I made it. Thanks we made it, guys. It. Wow. Thanks for being on the show. That was, again, that was Carl and Zach from Adherent Apologetics. How can, uh, how can people hear more about you? Well, I mean, you could go to adhereantapologetics.com. That's all our blog posts. Search us on YouTube or Twitter or Facebook, any of that stuff. But it's a great time. Thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, follow them on Twitter and Facebook. Um, they post post almost every day, it seems, right? Every day. Not almost every day, right? You guys yeah. are. We, yeah. we missed yesterday, but we're back on it. So Nice, nice. nice. Uh, anyway, that was our episode. We hope you learned a lot. It was a hefty episode, but Probably it was an informative nonetheless. The longest one yet? Yeah. Probably, yeah. yeah. But it was definitely filled with a lot of good information. But to say uh, a lighter point, get online. Get on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Go on BibleDingers.com. You could follow us on all social media at BibleDingers. And while you're there, as always, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit subscribe. Hit follow. Hit like. Don't keep passing. We want you to listen. We want you to listen. <laughs> Ding on. I'm not gonna lie, that was a tough one.